done, you know, all the good things, uh, including God's provision and his help in, in getting us through these difficult times, all these things we can be grateful for. Uh, he is our only hope. We put our trust in him, and we are thankful people. So let's begin our service, and I'll, let me first welcome all of you who are online. By looking around this room, I can see that a lot of you are at home, so we welcome you as well. Join in us, and we'll all be thankful together. So let's begin by uh, together reading responsibly from Scripture, and if you're able, why don't we stand for this, the reading of God's Word, and also for the uh, songs that we'll sing next. So let's read responsibly from Psalms 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. To the, the sun to rule the day. And the moon and the stars to rule at night. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. So let us now sing together. We're going to start with a traditional Thanksgiving hymn, We Gather Together.
You may be seated. Just want to take a minute and say, first of all, thank you for those of you who continue to to give faithfully to the ministries of this church and um, for your continued giving. Um, and this is the time of service we normally take offering. Um, we're not doing that in the traditional way during COVID, but um, on your way out, there are plates in the back to your left. You can drop an offering in or you can give online. Um, if you're visiting with us, please know that we're not asking you to give. Like, we have this service to be a gift to you. Um, but if you're a regular attender and you want to give to the ministries here, those are the ways you can do that. Let's pray. Father, we, as we've been singing, we, we do thank you just for all the ways you bless us, all the good gifts you've given us, first among those being the gift of eternal life through Jesus. Can we confess it's easy to dwell on hardship, it's easy to dwell on things that we wish were different, it's easy to dwell on the challenges we're walking through. And we we're so thankful that you care about those things, that you desire to hear our concerns and our worries and our fears and to speak into those, but we also want to be reminded of all your goodness, all the reasons we had to be thankful to you, that we can gather here in this place or online, that you've enabled those kind of things to happen, that you give us every breath that we breathe, every beat that our heart beats as a gift from you, and every every good thing that's just a gift from you. We don't want to forget that. We want to thank you for all the signs of your grace in our lives, especially this week as we look toward Thanksgiving. Because we do want to also pray for those who are going through hard times, who are having a hard time seeing the things to be thankful for, those who are dealing with sickness, those who are dealing with financial difficulties, those who are dealing with different struggles, that you'd be with them, that you would give peace and endurance to face challenges. Can we pray for political leaders in in our state and throughout the country and throughout the world, that you would give them wisdom as they navigate this challenging time whether we agree, whether we disagree with different decisions that are made, we pray that you would work through political leaders to bring about your purposes and to see your name glorified. God, we, above all, we thank you that this world with all its challenges, with all its struggles, is not the end. This is not all there is, but that we will one day look forward to eternity with you, worshiping Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. God, give us eyes to see that day, to look forward to that day. To sing your praises and be thankful to you as we go about our days and our weeks this week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I suppose you all have figured out by now that I'm a big fan of The Chosen, which is a streaming TV series based on the life of Christ from the perspective of those that he impacted. Uh, the series is crowdfunded, uh, and the purpose for that is to keep Hollywood out of it so that it can stay faithful to Scripture, and it does a great job of that. It's currently in production for season two, um, and uh, those of us that are fans are really looking forward to that coming out. To give you a little sense of the philosophy behind the scripture, here's the, here's the uh, graphic from the opening of the series. Um, and uh, let me just say that I find it extremely well done. It's very faithful to the gospel story, even while using fictional backstories of the main characters to bring them to life. The thing that I love most about it is how it makes the story come very alive and riveting and shows how real and normal and far from perfect all the people w that were in Jesus' life uh, <laughs> when he was here. It's so well done and so not weird that it's easy to invite people to watch it with play? you. Um, if you think you'd like to check it out, let me suggest that you invite a few people to watch it with you. Uh, Subetha and I have hosted watch parties at our house and it has been very fun to do that. In these days when in-person life groups, small groups, and community groups are hard to do, maybe just a small watch party would be a great alternative for this season of COVID. So um, I think it would also be a great tool to reach out to your unchurched friends because it's so well done and it's so not weird. Access to the series is free. Just download the chosen app from your favorite app store or look for it on YouTube. So we're going to watch another clip today, and this one depends a little bit on the backstory. so let me just give it to you. Um, episode one focused on Mary Magdalene before she met Jesus, when she was known as Lilith. She was in a very dark place, tormented by multiple demons. She had amnesia, violence, and despair. In fact, she disturbed the peace so much that the Romans compelled a visiting Pharisee named Nicodemus to attempt an exorcism. Well, that failed, and Nicodemus was actually quite traumatized by that experience. Um, and then, at the end of that episode, Jesus en encountered her, sought her out, actually, and restored her completely. So in episode two, what we'll see now, Nicodemus heard that she was healed, and he wanted to find out how it had happened. So let's watch this clip. I got them. <laughs> At least I think they're right, is what everyone else was getting. Oh, what did you get, Maddie? Shabbat candles. Okay, I would not have guessed that. Maddie served Shabbat dinner in a little while. In a long while. I barely remember how to do it. It would be great. I know how to make the bread. What <laughs> do you make part of a loaf of bread? If you're hosting Shabbat, sweetheart, you better get moving. Preparations might take you all afternoon. Really? Just to be safe. I haven't even swept. Get out of here. Get the fire going first thing. I'm excited and a little terrified. After you net, rest the dough. What's this kind of advice? What could go wrong? Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. 
I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you, you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. For men. <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well, what does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. Now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So when did you even hosting Shabbat dinner? It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom, Mary. So if Christ has called you by name and redeemed you, then like Mary, you also have a story you have much to be thankful for. So let's now stand together again and sing together of our gratitude for his many blessings, including our salvation. Uh, watch for the lyric that speaks of when Christ came looking for you, just like he did Mary, and called you to himself. And if Christ has not yet called you by name, then listen, because maybe today is your day.
truly forever grateful. Forever, because you promised that all who put their trust in you will enjoy eternal life in your presence. And we're grateful because you have saved us from our sin. For those of us who trusted you later in life, we know very vividly the pain and despair of the place that our sin dragged us to. And for those of us who trusted you early in life, we are grateful that we were spared some of that pain and despair, but we still know the hurt of our sin. Lord, today we acknowledge what you have done for us. We also acknowledge that the good things in our lives have come from your hand. And in these uncertain times, we choose to put our trust in you. And we clearly see that you are our only hope. Lord, we are truly thankful people. Amen. Please be seated. We're, uh, we're picking up our, our series through the book of Luke here this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verse 39 through 45 in a little bit. So if you have a Bible, you can go in and turn there. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen as they come up in the sermon. So C.S. Lewis, in the book The Four Loves, writes, Friendship is born at that moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. There's something deeply valuable and edifying about having friendships with people who experience similar things to what you've experienced. People who can understand your experiences in a way that few other people can. There's some depth and value of relationship there that come from shared experience, especially unique experience. And so like many friendships, many relationships have been formed and deepened through these kinds of shared experiences over the years, including some rather unlikely friendships. In their book called The President's Club, Nancy Gibbs and Michael Duffy tell the story of how following the tsunami in 2004 that struck Indonesia and Sri Lanka and Thailand. Then-President George W. Bush was looking for a way to coordinate and direct all the outpouring of relief from the private sector. Figuring out a way to distribute all this money, how did he do that? And the solution he came up with was to ask his two predecessors to work together in that effort. There's just one problem. George George W. Bush's two predecessors were the Democrat Bill Clinton and the Republican, and George W. father, George H.W. Bush. Like, and Clinton had defeated George H.W. Bush in a pretty acrimonious election in 1992. Right? At one point, Bush Sr., during that campaign, had called Clinton a bozo. Right? And now Bush Jr. was going to ask them to work together. Like, was this going to work out? But not only did it work out, right? their efforts... And coordinating relief laid the groundwork for one of the most unlikely of friendships. Right? Following their time working on tsunami relief, like Bush Sr. and Clinton became something of an item. Right? They played golf together. They traveled together to Pope John Paul II's funeral. Barbara Bush, George Sr.'s wife, started calling them the odd couple. Right? Four months after... After the tsunami relief efforts, Clinton needed to have surgery. And so George Jr., as president, was giving a press conference, and he updated 
the press on Clinton's status. And he said, Clinton's doing well. He woke up from surgery surrounded by loved ones. Hillary, Chelsea, and my dad. And then following the death of Bush Sr., Clinton issued a a statement saying, I'll be forever grateful for the friendship that we formed. That's an unlikely friendship. These two guys are campaigning against each other from different political parties, and yet they built this friendship largely on the unique experience of being president of the United States. And they could talk to each other about different experiences they'd had that few other people could understand. They could look at each other and say, what you two, I thought I was the only one. They built a friendship on this unique shared experience. In the past two weeks, we've gone through Luke. Like we've seen Elizabeth and Mary both become pregnant by... by miraculous means. Elizabeth and Mary both came, became pregnant through these kind of miraculous means, which is great, it must have been joyful, but also it must have been like, kind of lonely. Like, who could understand what they were experiencing? Who could relate to the emotions that they were going through? In fact, Luke tells us that after Elizabeth, Elizabeth became pregnant, like, she hides herself in seclusion for five months, not wanting to explain what was happening, knowing that no one would really understand. And likewise, Mary, like, while not yet showing, must have known that like, once it became obvious that she was pregnant, like, no one was going to understand how she, a 12-year-old unmarried girl, was pregnant. Like, no one was going to understand that. But the angel Gabriel, when he appeared to Mary, told her that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant through miraculous means. And so as we pick up the story in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1 this morning, we're going to see like Mary's going to set out to visit Elizabeth right? so that she can have someone to share her experience with. Right? Someone with whom she can say, what you two, I thought I was the only one. And what we're going to see if this passage kind of unfolds is that although Mary and Elizabeth and John and Jesus like, are all present in the story in various ways, really the main character of this story is the Holy Spirit. Like, and the main takeaway from this passage is that the Holy Spirit enables us to respond rightly to Jesus. And so specifically, Specifically, as we go through this passage, we'll see two responses to the presence of Jesus that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But before we get there, like Luke sets the stage for us. And as I said, this week's passage starts in verse 39, but I'm going to start reading in verse 36, just to kind of remind us how last week's passage ended. So Gabriel says to Mary, starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 1, Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
So Gabriel appears to Mary. He tells her, like, you're going to have a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he also tells her, like, your relative Elizabeth is also miraculously pregnant. And then Gabriel leaves. And then very shortly after Gabriel leaves, Mary decides that she should go visit Elizabeth. And we know it was very soon after Gabriel left that Mary decided this because like, Luke tells us that Gabriel visited Mary when Elizabeth was six months pregnant. And later he's going to tell us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. For about three months. And yet, as far as we can tell, Mary leaves before John is born. And so it had to be like immediately after in order to make that timing work. And so Mary takes off. As soon as Gabriel leaves, she goes and visits Elizabeth. And we know, as we said last week, Mary lives in Nazareth, which is a region in Galilee, way up in the north. And Elizabeth and Zechariah live in the hill country of Judea. Like, Luke doesn't tell us exactly where, what town it is. It doesn't really matter. The traditional site is a town called Ain Karim, which is just outside of Jerusalem. Whether that's right or not, like, it seems likely that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived near Jerusalem. So if you, we have a map here. If you look at this map, right? So Galilee is that yellow section up in the north. You can see Nazareth if you have really good eyes. Judea is down in the south. You can see Jerusalem there, kind of down there. So it's a pretty long trek to go from the north and Galilee to Judea, especially when you consider that blue section in the middle is Samaria, which Mary, the faithful Jew, is not going to walk through, which means she has to go around, across the Jordan, into the Decapolis, through Perea, then into Judah, Judea. So, like, all told, it's probably 70 to 100 miles that Mary had to trek through mountainous terrain, probably on foot. It was not an easy trip. Yet she thought the trip was worth it. And finally, she arrived at Zechariah and Elizabeth's house, and she greeted by Elizabeth. Now, like, to say the obvious, but just to remind us and get our head in the right time frame. Like, there's no telephones. There's no email. There's not even a reliable postal system for common folk. So Elizabeth has no idea that Mary is coming or why she is coming. Just one day, her young relative, Mary, just shows up at her doorstep with no explanation, no advance warning. She just shows up. And Elizabeth, like, no doubt thought it was strange, this young relative of hers, which is showing up unannounced. But almost immediately it gets stranger. In verse 41 we read, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary shows up, she greets Elizabeth, and the sound of her greeting causes the baby in Elizabeth's womb to leap. Now Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She surely felt the baby kick and move many times. But this was something different. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered leap. So back in verse 15, like Luke told us that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And like here, we see evidence of that. 
John is filled with the Holy Spirit even in the womb. And it enables him to respond to the presence of Jesus. Right, but not only did John fill with the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us at the end of 41 that Elizabeth filled the Holy Spirit as well. Right? And the work of the Holy Spirit is really one of the key themes in all of Luke's writing. Right? The second volume after Luke that Luke writes is called the Book of Acts. Right? It's often called the, the Book of the Acts of the Apostles because it's what the Apostles did after Jesus' ascension. Right? But some theologians think the Book would be better called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because Luke makes it so evident throughout that book that it's with the Holy Spirit working through the apostles that allows the kingdom of God to advance. And we could spend several sermons talking about all the various activities and roles that the Holy Spirit plays in the lives of believers. But for our purposes this morning, we need to know just one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit. And that is that throughout the Bible... One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to testify about Jesus. In John 15, 26, we read, when the, advocate, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he, the Holy Spirit, will testify about me. So the, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to testify about Jesus. And this promise is mostly, primarily fulfilled following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. Like when God pours out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost and then continues to give his Holy Spirit to everyone who trusts in Jesus. But here, Elizabeth and John give us a bit of a foretaste of the Holy Spirit fulfilling that role. And the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to recognize the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb and to respond rightly. There is no other way to explain how Elizabeth and John respond in this passage other than the Holy Spirit enabled them and empowered them to respond the way they do. There's no other way to explain it. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowered and one of the Holy Spirit empowered responses we see in the passage is a response of faith. So Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 42 and 43 we read, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as far as we can tell, at this point, when Elizabeth says this, like Mary has said nothing to Elizabeth about being pregnant, or about the angel Gabriel visiting her. And yet the Holy Spirit reveals to Elizabeth that Mary was not only pregnant, but that she was pregnant with her Lord. She had never seen Jesus. Jesus, obviously, had never done anything to prove that he deserved to be called Lord. Yet the Holy Spirit at work in Elizabeth gives her the faith to know that Jesus is Lord. The author of Hebrews writes, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And there has been like few more vivid examples of that than what we see Elizabeth display here. 
Elizabeth has hoped all her life that God would send a Savior for Israel. And now as she comes into the presence of Jesus, albeit unknowingly, the Holy Spirit gives her faith. The Holy Spirit gives her confidence that her hope for Israel's salvation would be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit assured her, despite the fact that she can't see Jesus, she can't even see that Mary is pregnant yet, the Holy Spirit assured her that Jesus is the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives Elizabeth faith in Jesus. In Ephesians we read, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Faith is a gift from God delivered to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a, when I was a young Christian, I got super into apologetics, like being able to defend my faith. And one of the first books I read after becoming a serious Christian was Tim Keller's The Reason for Faith. And to this day, it is one of my favorite books. It's one of, I think, the best and most helpful books I've ever read. In it, Keller addresses a multitude of objections to Christianity, and he shows why faith in Jesus is rational. But reading that book when I was so young in my faith, as helpful as it was, also copied as some kind of faulty views of the power of apologetics and reason in telling people about Jesus. I became convinced if I could just articulate my faith clearly enough, if I studied enough so that I could answer all the objections to Christianity just right, but then I could argue someone into heaven. Eventually they would have to admit that my worldview, I was right. Eventually they would see that I was right, they were wrong, and they would confess Jesus is Lord. If I could just know enough, speak it clearly enough, that's all that would be needed. What's become clear to me is I've grown in my faith is that no human rational argument will ever be enough. Right? That ultimately it's the Holy Spirit at work in someone who brings them to faith. Well, that doesn't mean there's no value in apologetics. It doesn't mean, definitely doesn't mean we shouldn't share our faith with others. On the contrary, it means that we can share our faith boldly with the confidence that it doesn't depend on us saying just the right thing. It doesn't depend on us to have all the exact right answers. We can share our faith, we can confess our faith to others confident that it is God who worked to produce faith in them. Like we are, we're just simply invited to be faithful, right? to share our faith. Right? We're, we're invited by God to be faithful to do what he has called us to do. And then to experience the privilege of being used by God if he achieves his purposes and seeing people come to faith in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit enables us to respond to Jesus with faith like it did with Elizabeth. Just a quick side note with Elizabeth. Like, it should be commendable that like, Elizabeth, throughout this passage, like, never shows any signs of jealousy. Or, like, like, that's like the ultimate 
one-upmanship, right? Like, oh, like, I got pregnant at the old age. It's like, aren't I special? And then your young relative comes along, and you're like, yeah, well, I got pregnant as a virgin, so take that. Right? And like, but Elizabeth, there's no jealousy in Elizabeth, right? Like, she just, she rejoices with Mary. There's no jealousy there. So the Holy Spirit gives us faith like Elizabeth, and he also enables us to respond with joy like John. In verse 44 we read, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Elizabeth, through the, through the Holy Spirit, is able to understand that the reason John leaps in her womb is that he recognizes Jesus and is filled with joy at being in his presence. And the thing we must understand about the joy that John leaps with is that it's a joy that is not fueled by anything other than being filled with the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of Jesus. That the joy that John is experiencing is not caused by any outside factors. His joy is not the result of his circumstances. He is a baby in a dark womb. He has no reason to be joyful other than the fact that he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he is in the presence of Jesus. In Galatians, Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One of the outcomes, Paul says, there of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we produce joy. That we are joyful, independent of circumstances. Like when I, when I sat down Tuesday morning and like read through this passage for the first time, preparing for this sermon, right? that word joy, like the word that just leapt off the page to me. Right? In fact, like on my paper where I take notes, they work through the passage, like the very first thing I wrote was recognizing that Jesus is the Christ equals joy. And then I wrote, and my prayer for this week is that people come away from this sermon feeling joyful. So whether you're here in person, whether you're watching live online, or whether you're watching online in the distant future, like my hope and my prayer is that we leave here this morning being reminded of the joy we have when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of us, we've said, have had a challenging year. Some of us have had financial hardship because of COVID or other reasons. Some of us have had friends or loved ones that we can't see as much because of restrictions and lockdown. Questions about the proper response to COVID have caused tension among family members. Like Some of you have been sick with COVID. Some of you have been sick or lost loved ones for other reasons. Like All of us, in some ways, have been a challenging year. And yet, if we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then we have the Holy Spirit-empowered ability to be joyful no matter the circumstances. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There is joy in independent of circumstance. And that's my hope for us.
this morning. That we would leave here joyful. That we would leave here rejoicing and giving thanks no matter the circumstances. Right? No matter what trials you may be going through right now, that you would be, feel joyful. The question is, how? Like, how do we remain joyful in the midst of life's trials and difficulties? And I think the answer is, we do the same thing that happened to John in this passage. We come into the presence of Jesus. So obviously, that looked different for us than it did for John in this passage. But there are, there are any number of ways that we can draw near to Jesus. And I would highlight two of those that I think are essential if we're going to remain joyful. So two ways for us to draw near to Jesus so we can be joyful regardless of circumstances. And the first of those is to remind yourself of what he has done for you. Like We live in this broken and fallen world. Like the trials and difficulties we face bear witness to that fact. Like there are plenty of reasons for despair if we dwell on them. But the good news is, like all those trials, all those reasons for despair, they're temporary. The one great eternal reason for despair is that our sin has broken our relationship with God. And our sin means that we rightly deserve to have God's judgment poured out on us. Our sin means we deserve to spend eternity in hell. Like, that's a reason for real despair. But by coming and living the perfect life that we fail to live, and by dying on the cross in our place, Jesus provides a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be restored to a right relationship with God. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, if we have faith that he died in our place, then our sins are forgiven and we will spend eternity with him. Like That's a reason for real joy. No matter what else is going on, no matter what you're going through, right? if you believe in Jesus, you will spend eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Like Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And no matter what you're going through, no matter the present suffering, it is not even worth comparing to the glory that awaits you in eternity if you have faith in Jesus. That's a reason for joy. So remember what Jesus did. Remember the glorious future that awaits you for all eternity. Now let those things fuel you as you live a life of joy. So one way we can draw near to Jesus in order to be joyful is by remembering what he has done. The second way we draw near to Jesus draw near to Jesus is by spending time with him in his word and in prayer. John is joyful in this passage because he is in the presence of his Savior. And one of the best ways for us to come into the presence of our Savior is by reading his word in the Bible and responding in prayer. Again, not just the parts of the Bible that are directly about Jesus. At the end of Luke... After his resurrection, Jesus is going to have an encounter with some of his disciples. And Luke will write of that interaction. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the Bible is about Jesus. So if you want to spend time with him, like spend time in the Word. Right, and I don't know about you, but for me, there tend to be two ways that I spend time reading the Bible. Right, the first is to wake up, like, and I'm like, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible, like it's part of my morning routine, so I guess I'll do that now. Like, I'll, I'll do it to like, check off the things to do to be a good Christian list for the day. Right? So, like, my heart's not really in it. And, like, and those types of days are far more frequent than I care to admit. But there's another way to read the Bible. Right? A, we read the Bible with a conscious awareness that the God of the universe decided, decided to reveal himself to us through this book. So the God of the universe has a glorious plan for the universe to make all things new. And that plan is centered on the work, person and work of Jesus Christ. And he reveals that plan in the pages of this book. The God of the universe desires for you to know him. And he has given us this book to make that possible. And so when I sit down to read the Bible, if I keep that reality in my mind, it changes the experience I have when I read the Bible. The God who spoke the universe into existence is revealing his plan to save me from my sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And so by by coming to his word with that mindset, I can draw near to Jesus and that closeness with Jesus fuels my joy. Psalm 16.11 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We can be joyful when we know we are on the path of life and when we are in the presence of our Lord and Savior. So my hope for this week that you would experience the joy available to you through the Holy Spirit. You would, you would find some quiet time just to reflect on all that Jesus has done for you. That you would take time to remember how he saved you from your sins and gave you eternal life. And I hope that you find some time to draw near to Jesus in his word. You would find time to sit down with your Bible, conscious of the fact that the word you're reading is the very word of the God of the universe. Like, and finally, I hope like, you would find time to respond to what you read by talking to God in prayer. Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then 
approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can, we can approach God's throne of grace in prayer with confidence. How foolish are we when we don't avail ourselves of that access to God? I pray that each of us would be able to be joyful this week as we remember what Jesus has done as we read his word, and then we go to the Father in prayer. But of course, all of this only works if what God has promised to us is true. If our sins really are forgiven in Jesus. If God really does hear our prayers. If the Bible really is his word. That's the only way this works. But God has proven over and over and over again throughout history that he is a God who keeps his promises. And the final word of our passage this morning remind us of that. Verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who hath believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. We have a God who has made some glorious promises. And just like Mary, we are blessed. We find joy as we believe that the Lord will fulfill those promises promises. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who has made promises that you keep, that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to work in each of us. God, I do pray for us this week that we would have deepened faith, we would have renewed joy as we remember your promises. God has has promised us a glorious future for all who believe in him. And that should cause us great joy. So before we close, we're going to sing one more song to remind us that we serve a God who keeps his promises. Uh, close our service by singing a hymn, Standing on the Promises, and obviously you should be standing, if you can, while we sing this song.
So as we prepare to leave here, I pray that you would go standing on the promises of God, that it would fuel you to a life filled with faith and joy as you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. You're dismissed.